Romans 8, beginning in verse 18. For I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. For the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the very time. Not only so, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. But hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what they already have? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him and who are called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And those he predestined, he also called. And those he called, he also justified. Those he justified, he also glorified. What then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus who died, more than that who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. For who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, nor height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing in all creation can separate us from the love of God. That is good news, not even a pandemic. So this is week number six of our live streaming only services, and it's getting old. Uh, you know, at first it was an adventure, and now uh, I just want to see my people. Don't you? Don't you kind of feel that way? I'm sure you guys feel that way watching at home. Uh, but I recognize that there's many people who have uh, lost um, a great deal more than, than I have at this time. There's people in our church who 
have lost money, uh, business, uh, their senior year of high school uh, or college. Uh, some people have lost sports seasons. Some people have lost, uh, and those things are important, but some people have lost things that are even more important, uh, like loved ones. And uh, our heart goes out to you, uh, those of you who have lost a great deal, and we're praying for you. And when things like this happen, and especially when they drag on longer than we ever dreamed they would, you're tempted to lose hope. And the enemy of our souls would like nothing more than for you to lose hope today. The, the enemy of our souls would like nothing more for you to be in despair because the enemy wants to discourage you, right? Uh, uh, to discourage means to take courage out of, right? And, and courage just comes from the word, uh, the Latin word core, which comes from heart. So what, what Satan wants is to take your heart. That's what he's after in us right now. Satan is after our hearts. He wants to take our, he wants to discourage us. Uh, this week, we said goodbye to a dear, dear friend, a family member uh, here at New Life, Omar, Brother Omar. And of all the things that were said about Brother Omar is that he was an encourager. He was one that when you're around him, you just got encouraged. And to encourage means to put courage in somebody, to put heart in someone. It, it was said about Winston Churchill that no one ever left his presence without feeling a braver man. Meaning, you're around him, when you left, you just, you had more heart, you had more courage. And, and I kind of feel like Omar was that way. When you left, hanging around with heart, you just kind of had more heart. And so that's what I, I want to be like Omar today, okay? And, and I want to encourage you and talk to you for just a few minutes about how to have hope during a quarantine. That's the title of my message, How to Have Hope During a Quarantine, because Satan is after your heart, and God wants your heart. One of the most famous and greatest minds in American history was a guy by the name of Jonathan Edwards. Certainly, greatest American theologian, um, most famous probably pastor of all time from America. He was uh, one of the leaders of the Great Awakening. Um, pretty sharp guy. Went to Yale. Uh, was the president of Princeton. Um, and in 1721 or so, he preached what we have now as his first sermon. Now, he may have preached one before this, but this is the oldest one we have. When he was 18 years old, the ripe old wise age of 18 years old, he preached a sermon on Christian happiness. And he said that a Christian can actually be happy. A Christian can have hope in any situation if they know and believe three things. And this was the outline to his message, 1721, this is 300 years ago. This is his outline. If you're a Christian, your bad things will turn out for good. Your good things can never be taken from you. And your best things are yet to come. That's the outline of his message. That's pretty good, right? That's, that, like, that's pretty hopeful right there. I mean, you can have hope, he said, in any situation. Because if you're a Christian, let's go through them again. Your bad things will turn out for good. Your good things can never be taken from you, and your best things are yet to come. Now, that was his outline, and it's going to be my outline, for I am stealing the, I'm stealing the, but it was 300 years ago, I'm pretty sure copyright has expired, okay? So I want to look at those three things in more depth from the text that Becky read, Romans chapter 8. So grab a cup of coffee. I mean, not if you're in the room here, but if you're at home, get a cup of coffee, get your Bible. Let's look at Romans chapter 8, because this text is one of the most important texts in the entire Bible. 
all scripture is God-breathed, okay, but some texts speak more directly of the gospel. And this is one that has a beauty unrivaled in Paul, okay? There's a magnificence to this text. There's a hymnic quality. There's a cadence. There's a rhythm. There's po- People who write this way want you to stop and listen, right? Not, and, and, and not just listen to the music of the words. Listen to what's being said and let it in. In fact, you know, if you've done all your puzzles during the, you know, the pandemic and you don't have anything else to do, uh, you should memorize Romans 8. This would be a good thing to do during your quarantine. Memorize Romans chapter 8, especially the second half of it, okay? Well, actually all of it, really, um, uh, because there's the, a beauty in this that will change your life. So let's look at these three things. You should have hope because, number one, your bad things will turn out for good. Look at verse 28. And we know... That in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. First of all, notice who this is a promise to. It's those who love God. Okay? And that's, that's me and you, right? I, ho- I hope those listening here would say, yeah, I love God. So then, if you love God, this is for you. And he says, we know. Not we think. Not it might possibly be, it could be, we're kind of hoping it's true. No, we know. In other words, you need to let this, Paul's saying, let this truth in and believe it, say it to yourself until you know it's true that in all things God works for our good. Now, don't wait for bad stuff to happen and then decide if you believe this verse or not. Okay, you decide now, resolve right now to believe that what God says is true, no matter what it feels like in the moment, What he says is true, and so what he says is, in all things, God works. Now, please note what this verse is not saying, okay? This is a beautiful verse, but it's probably one of the most abused texts in the entire Bible, okay? This verse is not saying bad things are just good things in disguise. It's not saying that. It's not saying that everything is a good thing. No, there are bad things. COVID-19, bad, okay? A prime ribeye steak done medium rare, good. You see the difference? COVID-19, bad. Steak, good, good. And so there are bad things and there are good things. And, and, and we're not supposed to call bad things good things. In fact, the prophet Isaiah, God speaking through the prophet Isaiah, Isaiah 520 says, Woe to those who call evil good and good evil. You've heard people say, it's all good, right? And, and I know what they mean by that, okay? And please, I'm not rebuking anybody. I, and, I get, and I probably even said that, oh, it's all good, you know? But this text is not saying it's all good. It, it's also not saying that every cloud has a silver lining. It might, but that's not what this text is saying, okay? It's also not saying every crisis is an opportunity. It may be, again, but that's not what this verse is saying. This verse is also not saying that bad things don't happen to people who love God. I mean, one of the things that shocks most of us as Western modern Christians is when things go wrong. We're like, what? What? We're like shocked. I can't believe something bad happened to me. We're just shocked because we think it's always supposed to go right for us. We know it doesn't go right for everybody else, but we think it's always supposed to go right for us, and we forget we live in a fallen world. I mean, in Romans 8, you heard as Becky was reading, All creation is in bondage to decay 
and is actually groaning to be set free. Right? It's, it's not just we who are fallen. A lot of us think as Christians, we think, well, people are fallen, but creation is the way God made it. Oh, no, that's not what Romans 8 says. Romans 8 says it's not just us. Or, all of creation has fallen. It's not how it was originally created to be. And there, there's some terrible things in creation. In fact, one of the reasons that Charles Darwin, you may have heard of him, Charles Darwin uh, was working on his theory of evolution was that he saw so much waste and cruelty and violence in creation and he just couldn't believe that a good, loving God would have designed it that way. But instead of realizing, as Roman 8 says, that it's in bondage to decay, that it's fallen itself, he just tried to come up with another way to explain it because there was all this cruelty. One of the things that bothered him was um, there's a parasitic wasp. Okay, now I should have looked up the academic name for this wasp, but if I had, I probably wouldn't have pronounced it right. And if I did, you wouldn't know anyway. Okay, so you can look this up on your own. Not now, okay, but after I'm done talking, you can look this up. There's a parasitic wasp that will burrow into a caterpillar. Okay, I mean, and the caterpillar's minding its own business. I mean, who does a caterpillar hurt? I mean, it's not hurting anyone. It's just there. It's cute and chubby. And, and, and this wasp will burrow into the caterpillar and lay its eggs in the caterpillar and will feed off of the caterpillar while it's still alive. It literally, the wasp and its larva, would it be, are, are actually eating the caterpillar while it's alive and while it's, the caterpillar becomes paralyzed and they, the wasp, can actually control the caterpillar. Like we actually know this more, uh, uh, we know more about this now than even Darwin did then. That it actually, and, and that caterpillar then pro- actually protects the wasp from other creatures that would try to hurt the wasp. Can you believe this? You talk about brutal and this is just the beginning, you know, as, as the poet said, creation is red in tooth and claw. I mean, there is, it's, it's like ridiculous. Creation has fallen. That's not the way God created it. Romans 8 is not saying that everything in creation is good. No, it's saying it's in, actually creation is in bondage to decay. It is fallen. It's why we have viruses. Bad things are out there, but we don't have to be afraid. We don't need to lose heart because we have a promise. And the promise is, for those who love God, whatever comes into your life, God will work out for your ultimate good. That's a great promise. Now notice notice another implication of this verse. When things work together for good in your life, it's because of God. That's important because it's not ultimately the things that work for your good. It's God working for your good. Because some things try to kill you, like viruses. But God is working for your ultimate good, and he will bring good out of bad things. And he is a good God. It's who he is. It's what he does. He can't help but be good. He's a good God. He brings good things. And that is why when you get to verse 31, Paul says, if God is for us, who's going to be against us? He who did not spare his own son, he didn't even spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? If he gave us Jesus, he's going to give us everything we need. 
So the, the first reason that you should have hope in this bizarre moment of global history is that God is going to bring good out of this bad situation. And some of the good that he's going to bring out, we can already see. And some of the good he's going to bring, we won't see for decades. And some of the good he's going to bring out, we may not even see until eternity. I mean, can you think of some good things that God has brought out of this right now? I mean, I, maybe we could just take a guess on some of these. Perhaps, perhaps one good will be that we won't take it for granted anymore that we can go to the grocery and get toilet paper. Maybe we won't take that for granted anymore. But fun fact about toilet paper. Fun fact, as one of my sons often says. Uh, about toilet paper is, do you know it's only been 100 years since we've had toilet paper without splinters? Just think about that for a second. If you lived more than 100 years ago, there was no guarantee that your toilet paper didn't have splinters. So there's that. Okay, so let's uh, just, I, I just thinking about that. I'm very grateful, Lord, that I live now. Okay, uh, what are some other things? Uh, sorry to get, I almost lost the Holy Spirit there, uh, but I didn't. Um, so what are some other things that God might bring out that's good? Like maybe, maybe, maybe after this we don't take going to church for granted. Maybe we don't take the, the, the opportunity to give somebody a hug. Like maybe hugs take on a bigger meaning from now on. Maybe, maybe handshaking does too. Maybe Maybe in the middle of this that's going on, we, we've been given an opportunity, even though there's terrible, horrible things happening, we've been given an opportunity to be with our family and to deepen our relationships with our children, with our spouses. Maybe it's an opportunity to be still and know that he is God. You know, Kevin preached that Psalm 46, I think it was, the first week that we didn't meet, and there's that verse be still and know that I am God. In some ways, we have had a forced stillness. Let's not waste it. Hey, let's not come out of this pandemic the way we went into it. Let's learn how to slow down and listen and wait. Maybe some of the good that God's bringing out of this is that our idol of productivity has been challenged. Have you noticed that we, especially in the West, especially in America, we have this idol of productivity, and we tend to measure if a day is good or bad by how productive we have been, not how close to the Lord we've been. Have you ever noticed this? I'm pretty sure God doesn't measure how good a day is based on how much we get done. Maybe there are other idols in our lives that these are times are challenging. Maybe, maybe the revelation that we've been trusting in ourselves and our economy to save us will lead us to Jesus, and that will affect our eternal destiny. I mean, there's lots of good things that God will bring out of this, and this is why you can have hope. Oh, goodness, we can have hope in any situation, even a quarantine, because our bad things are ultimately going to turn out for good. Number two, your good things can never be taken from you. Now, this is really encouraging because when I say your good things can never be taken from you, I don't mean your car or your job or your retirement fund or your baseball card collection or whatever it is for you. I mean the truly good things. And that's what Paul meant too because he, he, he says in, in, in the very next verse, right after he says, in all things God works for the good of those who love him, he then says, for, this is verse 29 of Romans 8, for, though, which, and the for means what I'm about to say is connected to what I just said, 
For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the likeness of his son. In other words, your destiny is to be like Jesus. That is your destiny. And no matter what happens, that cannot be taken from you. Your destiny is going to happen. God is going to use whatever happens in your life to make you more like Jesus. And that cannot be taken by anyone ever anywhere. No government, no tyrant, no virus can take that. Cancer cannot take that. Depression cannot take that. Disappointment cannot take Not even death can take that. That's why it says in verse 38, Paul says, For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing. Nothing can take that from us. Just think about that for a second. Will you just meditate on that with me? Because of what Jesus did on the cross, past tense. In other words, it's already done. The cross and the resurrection, you are right now being made new. Jesus paid an infinite price for you. You, listen, this is what's true. Whether you feel it or not, what I'm about to tell you is true, and it cannot be taken from you. You have incredible worth. You have unfathomable value because the God of the universe traveled an infinite distance to make the supreme sacrifice for you. You may not feel it, but I'm telling you the truth. Your life has worth. Your life has value because the greatest, most perfect being in the universe, God himself, loves you. And his love for you is complete and perfect in this moment. It's not that he loved you 2,000 years ago. It's not that he'll love you if you do something this moment. So, 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 so just be, be in this moment with me for just a second. Just be in the moment, all right? Don't think about lunch later. Don't think about the past. Don't just be in this moment and hear what I'm about to say. You could not possibly be more loved than you are in this moment. You can't. You'll never be more loved than you are right now. You could not have more worth than you have in this moment. Because your worth isn't based on what you're going to do in the future or what you've done in the past. It's based on God's love for you. Your life could not be more significant than it is in this moment. And it's not because of anything you achieved or could ever achieve. It's because of who God is and who you are as defined by the cross. See, you can't make God stop loving you. See, this, this, this is the good that can never be taken from you. you. You can't make God stop loving you because his love isn't based on what you do, but who he is. Think of it this way. Think of it this way. Every reason you could ever give God for why he should stop loving you was taken care of on the cross. It's already done. Because we got excuses, don't we? Oh, I got excuses. I can give God a lot of reasons why he shouldn't love me, and all of them are mute. Because they've already been taken care of. 
Think about this. God's love for you never began. He, he didn't have a beginning. God is eternal. So there wasn't a beginning to his love, which means there'll be no end to his love. His love is eternal. It, it never began. It never ends. It's never threatened. It never wavers. And nothing in all creation, not even COVID-19, can separate us from the love of Christ. Oh, Man, we can have oceans of hope in the middle of a quarantine because why? Our bad things are going to turn out for our good. Our good things can never be taken from us. And number three, the best things are yet to come. Look at verse 18 of our text in Romans 8. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. Here's what, did you get what he said? He said, take all of the stuff we're going through right now, globally, right? Take all of that, and, 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 and that is not even worth comparing to the glory that we're going to experience. It's going to be revealed in us. He says in another place, 2 Corinthians 4, verse 17, for our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. Do you see the picture he's painting? He's like, like take a scale. You know, old-fashioned scales that weigh each other. Take, take all of your troubles, take all of your problems, put them on one side, put the glory that you're going to experience on the other side, and it's not even close. It, it just outweighs them. And, and beyond, he says, those troubles, those problems, they actually work for us. Th- those problems, they are achieving for us. a glory, Not just a glory, an eternal glory. That far outweighs them all. See, some people think that all this talk about glory one day in the future will trivialize people suffering today. But in reality, that's the only thing that takes suffering seriously. To say there is a glory that one day will outweigh it is the only thing that actually says, yeah, I take people suffering today very seriously. Because the biblical view is resurrection, which is not a consolation for the life you never had. It's a restoration of the life you always wanted. That means that every horrible thing that has ever happened to you will not only be undone, but it will in some way make the eventual glory even greater. That's what that verse says. Our suffering is achieving for us a greater glory. Think of it this way. Have you ever ever had something that was precious to you and you lost it and you're really bummed, but then you found it? And, 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 and it was more, even more precious because you had lost it. Like, you didn't realize how much it meant to you. And then you found it. It was like, oh. And then it meant more to you because you had lost it. Have you ever had that experience? Tim Keller tells a story uh, in one of his books. I can't remember which one. Uh, where he, he says one night uh, he had a nightmare. And I've had this exact experience myself. He had a nightmare that his, one of those nightmares that feels very real. And he had a nightmare that somebody had killed his wife and children. I have had this exact same experience where I have a nightmare. I wake up from the nightmare, and it's so real and so vivid. I'm, like, checking to see if my wife is there. You know, is she, is she breathing? Do I hear her breathe? You know, and I go check on the boys. Are they alive? Are they here? You know, and then I realize, okay, they're here. It's okay. And, and what happens is I have this joy of, of like, okay, I thought I lost them, but I didn't, right? I have this joy. In, in some odd way, that's similar to our future as Christians. You see, the loss 
The very suffering we have now will make the glory greater then because one day we're going to wake up from the nightmare. In Greek philosophy, there was a, a belief that history uh, was an endless cycle, okay? So there was a genesis, a beginning, and then there was a palingenesis, right? And, and that was the universe would wind down and burn up, and that's what the palingenesis was. So genesis was creation, palingenesis was going to wind down, burn up, and start all over again. It, after it's purified, it will start again. And that was kind of the Greek philosophy of history, this kind of circle genesis, palingenesis. But in Matthew 19, verse 28, Jesus spoke of his return to the earth as the palingenesia, okay? He said, I tell you the truth, at the renewal of all things, palingenesia, the Son of Man will sit on his glorious throne. Now let this in. This was a new concept for everyone, okay? And it may be for some of you watching. Jesus said his return would be with such power that the universe would be purged from all decay and brokenness all will be healed and all the might-have-beens will be. There is coming a day when Jesus is going to return and every wrong is going to be made right. It's like just after the climax of the Lord of the Rings, there's this hobbit, Sam Gamgee, you know, he discovers that his friend Gandalf is not dead. You remember what he says? He says, I thought you were dead. But then I thought I was dead myself. Is everything sad going to come untrue? And the answer of the Bible is, yes. <laughs> everything sad is going to come untrue, but just like the nightmare, it will somehow be greater for having been broken or lost. It's, it's part of redemption. that it, it's, it's actually greater in the end than it would have been. C.S. Lewis put it this way in, in his great book, The Great Divorce, which isn't actually about divorce, okay? Uh, it's about the afterlife. And if you're ever looking for a book to start into reading Lewis, The Great Divorce is great because it's short and it's both, it combines his apologetic stuff and his imaginative stuff at the same time. And, and in there, one of the characters in the story says, they say of some temporal suffering, no future bliss could ever make up for it. And, and, and a lot of people say that, right? Like, it doesn't, what we're going through now, no, there's no good thing in the future that can make up for what we're seeing right now. Here's what he says. They say no future bliss could ever make up for it, not knowing that heaven, once attained, will work backwards and turn even that agony into a glory. Every agonizing thing you have ever experienced will be reversed. And the glory will be greater, including this pandemic. One more illustration, and then I'll be done, unless I think of another one. Many years ago, there was a movie that came out entitled Superman the Movie, creatively entitled. Now, in the film, this is, and, and, and look, if you're my age, this is who, this is Superman, okay? Christopher Reeves is Superman, all right? I, I mean, if you're as old as me, these new guys, come on. I mean, like, steroid using, I mean, like, this is, this is Superman, okay? Um, and in the film, do you remember how the movie ends? It, it, spoiler alert, okay? But it's been out for 42 years. If you haven't seen it yet, I don't feel bad if I ruin it for you. You get to the end of the movie, Lois Lane dies. Remember? She's in the car, the 
grabbed. There's a missile that hits the ground, opens up. Car goes in, crushed. She's dead. And so even Superman can't save her. He's too late. Do you remember what he does? Yeah. He starts, that's right. So the less than 10 people in the room all got the answer correct. I hope you got it correct at home. Um, it, he flies backwards around, like, so the world is turning this way. He flies the other way, so the world quits spinning and stops and starts going backwards, and time goes backwards, right? It's a, I mean, which is silly, <laughs> but what else should we expect? It's a movie about a dude who flies with no wings and wears tights and wears underwear on the outside of his tights. I mean, so why we thought it would be logical, I don't know. But it does feel kind of illogical, but whatever. The point is, the world spins backwards, and it goes, and it makes things right. And then he goes, and he saves her, and, 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 and his love for her is even greater because he had lost her, and he's got her back now. In some ways, that is a picture of where we're headed, where even the agony will be turned into a glory. Because this is how the book ends. Revelation 21, verse 3, And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Now the dwelling of God is with men, and he will live with them forever. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. In the very next chapter, chapter 22, no longer will there be any curse. <laughs> that verse alone should give you hope. The throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city and the servants will serve him. They will see his face. Can you imagine this? We're going to see his face. And his name will be on their foreheads. There will be no more night. They will not need the light of a lamp or the light of the sun. For the Lord God will give them light. And they will reign forever and ever. That's where we're going. There's coming a day. I want you to let this in. There's coming a day when there's going to be a new heavens and a new earth and justice and righteousness will reign and there'll be no more death. There'll be no more disease. There's not going to be any more funerals. There'll be no more hunger. Never again will there be parents laying awake at night wondering how they're going to feed their child the next day. It's not going to happen. Hunger will be over. It will have done everything it can do. There's never ever going to be a child with hunger pain so bad they cry themselves to sleep because they haven't eaten. That'll be over. There will be no more homelessness. We're not going to have a homeless team in, in heaven. We're not going to have human trafficking in heaven. There'll be no viruses in heaven. There's coming a day when every wrong is going to be made right. That is what the Bible says. And I can't think of anything that would give us more hope during a quarantine. So here it is. To sum up, here's why you should have hope today. You should have hope because if you're a Christian, your bad things will turn out for good. 
Your good things can never be taken from you. And your best things are yet to come. Let's pray. And as we pray, I just kind of want to walk us through an altar call right now. And I know this is kind of weird how this is happening with the live streaming. And, but at our church, at New Life, there's always an opportunity for you to respond in one way or the other to God's word. And I want us to take that. So I'd, I'd like for us to put back up on the screen those three things. And remember, this promise is for those who love God. So maybe there's somebody listening to this or watching this. And you've never come to the Lord and just said, I love you, Lord. I want you to be the Lord of my life. You never turned to him. If that's you, just you make that decision right now to turn to him. The Bible says if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. The Bible says if we believe in our heart and confess with our mouth, Jesus is Lord and God raised him from the dead, we'll be saved. So you can do that right now wherever you're sitting. You can just turn to him. And then there's other people, maybe, I don't know where you are right now, maybe in your living room or your bedroom or wherever, and you've been feeling hopeless. I want to pray for you right now. Lord, I pray that those who have been wrestling and feeling hopeless about something in their life, Maybe it's hopeless about this pandemic, but maybe it's not. Maybe it's hopelessness in some other area of their life. Holy Spirit, I believe you are there with them just like you're here in this room right now. And I sense your presence right now here in this room. And I pray they would sense your presence in that room. And would you breathe on them, Spirit of God, hope. Breathe hope into them right now. Lord, let them actually believe these things. Lord, I pray these wouldn't just be words that were talked about today, but they would see the truth of these things, that they can have hope. And Lord, would you silence the voice of Satan who's trying to take their heart? He's trying to discourage them today. Lord, would you silence his voice and let them hear the voice of Jesus? And Lord, I also pray for those who might be experiencing loss of some type or another during this. People who have lost resources, people who have lost experiences like graduations and sports seasons. But not only that, Lord, people who have lost dear people, loved ones close to them. Lord, your word says you're close to the brokenhearted. And I ask, Lord, that in this moment they would feel your closeness, you would heal their heart, 
and you would restore everything the enemy has stolen. But in the process, Lord, let them be transformed. God, I pray that we wouldn't come out of this quarantine the way we went into it. We would actually come out more like Jesus. Lord, let this all backfire on the devil and let it actually push us towards Jesus. Jesus.